Welcome everyone to the podcast. We got Marlies Jensen and Kristen Keffler. And in some ways, this is an extension of the podcast we did individually with Marlies and Kristen about Wealth 3.0. The book is now out. If you haven't gotten it, get it and read it. You'll notice in the book, they talk about four components. This podcast is going to be only on the practice component of Wealth 3.0. First of all, thank you both Marlies and Kristen for coming and welcome. Thank you. Super excited to be here again. Again. Twice in a year feels like a a good year. As we get started in this and we talk about the positive psychology and how it fits, let's start there kind of with an accurate description of how positive psychology fits into this and why it's so important to the field. And I think the other thing we want to talk about a little bit about the other side of this, what's negative due to, to people, you know, and when we start with a negative that we had always done. Yeah. So I don't care who wants to go first. Well, I have a, I have a strong opinion. So maybe okay. you know, <laughs> start there. I in a, with at least asserting my opinion, and then I can hand it over to Marlise and we can, maybe she can soften my strong opinion, or maybe <laughs> she won't. Maybe she'll just make it stronger. So I, I think part of the reason, from my perspective, that it's really important to talk about positive psychology and what positive psychology as a field of study actually is versus what people perceive it is, it's an important part of the conversation about Wealth 3.0 for two reasons. One is because a lot of the the tools, interventions, and research that we can pull from the field of positive psychology are really useful as we move into the practice of Wealth 3.0. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. And the other thing is, I think that Wealth 3.0 on the surface has the same um, sort of fast judgment problem that positive psychology on the surface has, which, um, so maybe let me start there, that I, that I find that, um, you know, as somebody who has studied positive psychology for a long time and went and got a master's degree at Penn in the field at the the home of where positive psychology was uh, was sort of first really took root. I, I feel passionately about it. And I feel um, one of the things I've heard as as people hear that I have a graduate degree in positive psychology, I often will hear that their first sort of response is like, yeah, but not everything about life is is happy. And so like if you're if you're studying positive psychology, then like you're you're ignoring the fact that there is human suffering and trauma and and like there is difficulty. And, and so I want to say this about positive psychology, and we can map it right over to Wealth 3.0, which is positive psychology actually isn't just the study of happiness. It sounds like that. It's a bit of a misnomer. We could probably choose a better name for the field. But really, the, the, the study of positive psychology is looking at the full experience of the human, the, the full range of the human experience and understanding that that human suffering is also just as informative as human thriving. Um, but historically, we spent, you know, from World War, from the time vets were coming home from the war right. until the, the late 1990s, the um, grant money and our, our whole focus around the field of psychology was focused on understanding um, the conditions that vets were coming home with, PTSD, and, and really understanding more about um, sort of that that part of the of the human experience was like the the difficulty and the trauma and and the impact of of yeah the, those very significant life experiences and so 
the, the call for positive psychology was really this call to say like, we can understand that as true and real and a part of the human experience. And let's also understand the other side, which is about human thriving and about post-traumatic growth. And, and how can we, by understanding both sides, really create more connectivity between the whole human experience and pathways towards taking difficulty and suffering and moving in and, and using it as, um, as fodder and pathways towards um, towards a path that has more thriving. So, so positive psychology is really about the whole experience. Well, 3.0 has the same challenge, which is that on the surface, people say, well, it's just looking at, at um, sort of the, the thriving side of families, but it ignores all of the difficulty and dysfunction that, that are inherent in human systems, that there, there are, there, there's inherently difficulty when you're taking people and asking them to come together and function, that, that that's part of how we grow and learn together. And, um, and that's really not what Wealth 3.0 is. It's not just taking a, a rose-colored lens on the family experience or on the professions. What Wealth 3.0 is really a call to action around letting go of, of negative narratives that really are not based in any facts, right? Like we, we've been using poorly designed research um, for a long time to support the narratives we say about family failure. And we're just saying like, like let's let that go. Let's say we, we don't actually know. Um, we don't have good data in the field of family, in, uh, in family wealth um, on what are the factors that, that really support success. We need to design good research. And as practitioners, how can we use what we understand about the science of human thriving to really help families tap into their capacity and their strength in order to overcome difficulty and challenge? Um, so I know I, I just said a lot, but I, so that that's my, I, the two fit together really well because we can leverage positive psychology in Well 3.0. And I want to make the point that it's not just about putting a rose colored lens on, on either, on either psychology or on family wealth advising. And that really leads into Marlise can go into the next thing because when we did Marlise's podcast, that was why it was that this pendulum had swung and everybody's like, okay, we can only talk about positive things. We can't talk about it. And I, Marlise had the great comment about, you know, real people and real families have real problems. right? Yep. And so that's where we started with this, uh, with, with her podcast. And so I think this fits really well. And I think you're right from the standpoint that going into this, the pendulum was on the negative side in both psychology and in wealth planning. So, you know, this is what we're, what we're seeing now is I think the pendulum swinging too much towards the everything's rose colored glasses, it'll end up in the middle, but that's what I, really what I wanted to talk about here. And, and Marlise, you, you really nailed it when we came out of our, our conference and, and that's when, you know, real people have real problems and, you know, uh, positive psychology doesn't say just ignore that. So can I add um, a yeah. little bit to what yeah. Kristen said, yeah. um, really in support of um, what you said, Kristen, but it's a really powerful thing to choose our focus, to choose mm -hmm. what we focus on. And there's a lot of research that shows that people don't create change by being intimidated or lambasted with negative statistics that doesn't help people find their best selves, right? Mm -hmm. 
And so what we're doing with families who are going through, you know, there's a lot of water under the bridge a lot of the time so when we meet our clients. They're blended families. They've been through traumatic experiences. They've made money, lost money, dealt with having money, whatever it is, right? And it's a question of what are we focusing on? And think about a child. Think about a young child when you notice something that they have done or you notice something that a way that they've contributed, they perk up, right? And so my interpretation of this, I don't have a master's in, in positive psychology per se, but I'm, I'm a licensed therapist. And just when we focus on strength, we, we reflect back to our clients what they build on and they don't have anything but their strengths to build on. So our job, we're not doing our jobs if we're not creating the the best possible environments for our clients to grow. And our clients don't grow when they're intimidated or or criticized. So I want to say that as a support for positive psychology, and also just to say that before positive psychology, historically speaking, there was all this focus on, on pathology. And so this is analogous to the growth of the wellness industry, really, right? It's just, it's mental wellness. And to say that we can focus on being well and that everyone has inherent wellness. Nobody's perfect. Nobody is, is, but, but everybody has a, a inherent wellness. And if we can reflect that back to our clients, we can help them grow. Yeah. Wow. I, this is why I love being in conversations with Marlies because she's just so smart. And I, I underscore everything that she said. And, and I think that, you know, in, as an extra layer on that to really highlight it is, is like, not only is it so powerful for us to choose what we focus on and therefore to help guide our, our client families to what they can focus on, there's actually an entirely different biological response right, that's that what... happens both in us and in our clients when we're yes. focusing on strength and possibility rather than fear and failure, right? You think about like the biology of stress is a very different biology. It's based on cortisol and, and when we are in a stress reaction, we inherently narrow our focus to what is immediately in front of us that is going to help us deal with the threat. And, and that doesn't allow for possibility or, or the idea of like um, joint risk-taking or how might we create safe space for courageous conversations. Like you, you can't do that when you are in a stress response. And so really um, using the approach that Marlise is talking about where it's, where it's, bringing a lens to strength and capacity, the capacity that already exists that families can tap into to fund their next, their next stretch of growth is um, that dampens down that, that stress response. And instead we can move into a place of curiosity and possibility and many more solutions are open to us. Yeah. And creativity. Yeah. And, and also, you know, one of the things that we learn as as we grow up, I think one of the lessons of growing up is that life is stressful and that we we build resources internally to thrive alongside that stress. And so with our clients, we say, yeah, there's going to be stress, but when we focus on, on strength, 
we learn that we really we have in we have what we need to manage it, and that's how we thrive. And so, this uh, story we were talking about when we were preparing for this podcast that I, I promised I'd tell was about running a marathon, right? And how that is physical stress, right? There's a point that you feel like I don't know if I can keep going, but there are people along the sidelines that say, "Yeah, you got this. You're go. You're you got this." And in those moments, when I would hear that. My brain focused on, I got this Mm -hmm. and the physical stress, the impact of the physical stress receded. And, and I'm sure that that is what helped me finish those marathons in a big way. Such, it's such a powerful thing. My guess is that there's many listeners who have done something similar, whether it's a marathon or some endurance, some physical thing that they thought, this is bigger than anything I've ever thought I could do, but I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I'm going to put myself in that situation and can probably, um, recall a similar kind of experience in some way or another. And I think it's such a powerful, um, I think it's such a powerful visceral memory for us as advisors to hold on to, because when we can port that over and be that sort of the wind been in the in the sails of our clients be that same thing though you got this and, and not with the false pollyanna like hey we're just going to ignore all that you know dysfunction and 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 you know damaging communication patterns you have it, it it's not about that it's about saying okay like let's look at what is working you got this how might we take what you have done before in communication with your spouse or your daughter that you have a strained relationship with like what has worked before how can we use more of that to help shift this pattern like you got this i'm in your corner even and, if you've done it with just a little thing but you've done it right and wealth 3.0 is the engine for that authentic communication mm-hmm. right. because when you say you got this and you're doing it authentically you can only do it authentically when you really see the strength of the client right so that's actually what allows us to authentically support our clients in a positive way. You know, and it's interesting, you know, I started from the positive side way back when, and I didn't, I went out as a psychologist, so I didn't get in all this stuff. But when I'd sit down with the clients and you'd start looking at this, we're working with successful families, right? They did some things right. Mm-hmm. And to start with the attitude that everything's going down from here just didn't make sense. We yeah. got here somehow. So what was it? I, I love Kurt Wright's book, uh, Breaking the Rule. What worked? Okay. So what worked? What made it work? What would be, you know, let's focus on that, not what could possibly go wrong. And when you think about that, and, you know, especially let's, let's take it, for example, a, a business owning, a family that owns a business. If you ask the business owner that, especially, especially the person who started it or early on in the process, was your business ever in trouble? then you can just sit back and enjoy that. I mean, there's going to be a story, right? Right. And then the story is, how did you get through that? Mm. Right? And that's really what we're looking for is that, yeah, there's going to be problems. There are problems. But that's not all it is. And, and the whole mindset of, okay, we got this pile of money now, and we've got to make sure that the kids don't blow it all. So, every, you know, we got all we're ever going to have, and it's going to go bad, bad from there. That's not good for anybody. And But that's what we've done for decades. I mean, for a long, long time. Um, So I, you know, and when you think about wealth 3.0, let's, let's talk about a little bit here. It's not like a process. Okay. This isn't a process. It's not a, you know, it's, I think you, you hit it on the head. It's a mindset, right? This is really a call 
to a mindset and for effective interdisciplinary collaboration because no one can do it all. Yep. And I think those are two things that that really set this apart is the mindset is, you know, where we're going to start and it can't be one person. Right. You know, there's right. that, there has to be more players and all the players have to have that same mindset. Right. Right. It's like everybody's got to put their weapons down, their territoriality about who, you know, who owns the client and and really think about how do, how do we in true collaborative fashion, like this is like quite a call to action to think about each one of us bringing a mindset of abundance, right? There's enough, there's enough incredible clients out there for us all to, to show up and work with them and, and be able to support them and not have to have some sort of territoriality about that. And that in support of like, I feel a, a genuine difference in the way that clients show up it, when they feel that their advisors, their, their interdisciplinary advisors are communicating and even if they don't always agree right like you can understand how someone in my position who is working with the human capital of a family may want to be prioritizing something that has to do with the people of the system mm -hmm. and maybe the estate planner or the tax planner is saying like but no that what we want is something that's actually going to optimize around the financial uh, balance sheet and I'm looking at the human balance sheet and we but if we can have a respectful conversation with the client to help them understand their trade-offs then the client is making the decision about what they find most valuable for their family in that in that moment rather than us feeling like any one of us is the more important advisor as a part of the system critical to that is I think what wealth 3.0 is trying to achieve which is a shared sense of what wellness means mm. in in a family of wealth right so if you if advisors have different objectives that only makes sense based on what their what their role is in the client's right. life but if if you all if all the advisors share a sense of a, a collective sense of the overall goals then that's ideal and, and i think with families when they see their advisors are kind of all on the same page that's not the norm for a lot of them. They're getting different advice from different people, in part because they're telling different stories to all the other advisors, because they're each advisor is asking a certain set of questions, and that's all they've got. And to have the pool that where the advisors all know what's going on and they're working together, that gives great comfort to the family and freedom. I mean, now now they're feeling like, okay, I've got this team, we're going forward. And you're right, Marley, sometimes there's going to be or I guess both of you, sometimes there's going to be one advisor is going to say, we need to deal with this tax issue right now, or we've got to sell this business now. Or, but when you go back to what's the desired outcome for the family, I mean, where are we starting with the family as a, as a whole? A lot of the, a lot of the work that I did, it's, I'm seeing less and less of this, but initially when I started, it was almost wealth 3.0 for a family business and that or 1.0 for a family business, because it was, we got to preserve the, the business. Mm. And the family was second. And so a lot of times, mm -hmm. you know, family governance was how do we keep the family from screwing up the business? Yep. And seeing that, okay, so what is, you know, I, I've asked the question before, 50 years from now, what do you, what are you more worried about? Do you want your family to be successful or your business? And even the creators are going, I want my family. Okay. So now, you know, so keeping the business may not be the right answer, Right. but just having that thought that maybe keeping the business isn't the right answer is a whole new world for most people. Um, 
And the other thing I think that I wanted to hit on is not just leadership of the family. We've got to be talking about the whole gamut of ages, mm. meeting them where they're at. And there's a lot of times, there's a lot of things that younger kids can do that we don't give them credit for. And if they have little wins early on, their confidence and you know abilities just sprout. Right. And and I don't know how what you guys think about that, but I've you know, we see so much, so much of the attention on grandma and grandpa or mom and dad and you know, making sure the kids don't mess it up, as right. opposed to I, I've I've had families where later on in the process, the parents will say to the kids, You guys are way ahead of where I was at your age. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, you just watch those kids. Well, yeah, they just bloom, right? Because it's because yep. they're comparing themselves to their parents now. When they realize that they're ahead of where their parents were, that just opens up the world to them. But yeah. you don't hear that very often. Yeah, I I actually have been forming a a more concrete sort of thesis around this idea of of education and engagement of the rising gen that I didn't know I felt so strongly about before, but as as I've been embedded in the thinking with Jim and Dennis around Wealth 3.0 and really looking at the 10 domains model of family wealth that the Ultra High Net Worth Institute has um, has created and it is published now for, for people to look at and, and engage with. Um, one of the things that I've been really thinking a lot about, and it, it touches in on, on what you just shared, Rod, is this idea that, you know, historically we've thought about, we've thought about next-gen education as financial literacy. Right. Right. Like it's and, and the metrics are, you know, what's age and stage appropriate financial literacy um, and, you know, starting from itty bitties through their emerging adulthood, for sure. And and I think that there's no doubt that financial literacy, every everybody needs a level of financial literacy to function in in a currency based society. Right. We all we all need that. And I and kids who are raised in affluent and enterprising families, they have extra skills on top of just basic personal financial literacy that they need. And there's I I don't question that. Um, the thing that I think is kind of interesting right now is how can we open the aperture around what it actually what is actually necessary for the rising gen in affluent and enterprising families to thrive. And financial literacy is one component. It's part of it, yeah. But the other components really have to do a lot with personal development and and like the ability to understand the language, this like crazy vernacular of trusts and estates and and business and enterprise and like all these things that many of their peers don't need to even know that language. Um, and how do you how do you eventually be able to sit at a table with people older than you that may seem smarter than you or at least they're smarter than you in some you know, specific domain and like have the confidence to say, you know, I, I don't understand what you're saying. Can you find another way to talk to me? Or can you find another way to to share that concept with me? Right. Like that, those are the kinds of skills that eventually will set a rising gen up to like learn what they need to learn and build skills over time to truly have a seat at the decision-making table. And it takes yeah. a certain confidence level to get there. I mean, that's one of yeah. the things you see over and over again is these kids are afraid to ask questions because they don't want to look like they, you know, they don't know what they're doing. When you can build into the to the mix, into the family, that asking those questions is good for everybody. Yep. I mean, and this is how, this is how we all learned, but that's not the baseline for most families. 
I want to add to this because I have such strong feelings, <laughs> which is that a long time ago, we stopped talking about financial literacy and we started talking about financial engagement because the engagement piece is really about, it starts with my intrinsic motivation to step into these roles. What's what's in it for me? Where do I get my confidence and courage? What's my motivation to take this role in the family? And what roles do I want to take? And how is it going to make my life better? Like all of these personal development, as you called it, Kristen, you know, the, the majority of clients that we work with around rising gen issues are really working about who am I in this family? Yeah. Who am uh, I? And this is, this is identity work. And once I can solve, maybe not solve, that's not a good way to express it. Yeah. Once I can create an identity that involves me serving my family or me even just keeping my own financial life in a positive way growth-oriented, responsible stewardship, whatever word you want to say, I can start to learn those skills because anybody can learn those skills. We like to say, you know, anybody can learn to read. That's literacy. But who really reads? So, so core. I couldn't agree more. It's like that that identity piece in any way, if as advisors, we don't acknowledge the fundamental importance of that and give room for it and the invitation to it for it. Ultimately, that's only the work an individual can do, right? Like no one can do that for you. But as advisors and as family members, the more we have the awareness of that importance, we can we can encourage all the ways that identity capital gets formed. And like, yeah, go like, it's awesome that you have a job at the coffee shop. That's not below you. It's, it's awesome that you're trying pottery or photography, like go out there, see what works and doesn't work for you. This is part of what becoming who you are going to be. This is all part of that. Another issue in this, and a lot of these really successful families is someone in the family is larger than life. Right. Right. And then they're, they're like, you know, and I was working with my family early on and the grandfather, when they had the presidential debate, it was in the building named after him, you know, kind of thing. And so you know, everybody knows who they are and their grandparents are and you know, all this other stuff. And it was interesting that the kids, as they started, as we started through this, they were, I think, 12 and 14 at the time. And one of the things that they said is not every child, all my, none of my friends grow up with everyone knowing who their, their grandfather was because there's names on all these buildings. And then by the when we got through the process of, of showing where he came from and what he did, he was a car salesman, I mean, to start with. And it was like, okay, but what did he do? And what, what questions did he ask? And he had some just great, brilliant things that he did forward-looking, had nothing to do with cars. But for them then, it just opened the opportunity to say, all right, so what is it that really, that I love, that I can expand into this? But it, it is, sometimes you have to get past that first level of, yeah, you're whoever is a larger than life person. Yeah. You have the same capacity to be whatever it is that you want to be in whatever that capacity is. If we can see our own identity as a creative endeavor, right? And that right. means that all of our engagement with our own financial lives or our families or whatever really comes from something inside, then we come alive. And so right. I think that what we're trying to do is to work with our clients to come alive. And I loved, I had one family, we were talking about what their, what their family motto kind of and all this was. And part of it was to make sure that everyone in the family had the, the tools and the encouragement to be the best person that they could be, the best them that they could be. Well, if that's your target, 
from the very beginning, that gives, you know, the 12 year old or whatever, this is a blank sheet. I mean, I can go where I want to go. And that's, but that's part of us. I mean, that's part of the role of the advisors is to get there. I do want to get on uh, two things. One is just the whole concept of collaboration. Hmm. Um, Because this is, if we're doing the things that we're talking about here, it's more than even just the three of us, if we're working with a family. And I think that's, that's a huge component of Wealth 3.0 is the interdisciplinary collaboration and knowing how to work together and having the egos set aside so that we can work together. And that's, you know, no one can do it all. I, I think I, I totally, absolutely agree, Rod. And I think that, you know, one of the things that I've challenged myself to do in the 20 years that I've been in this field, and I, at first it was, you know, I, I think a lot of people know my story. I ended up coming to this work because of the story of my dad who um, built a company, took it public and sold it all at the time that from my, when I went to college and when I graduated college or a year or two after, like this whole thing happened. And then I spent my twenties and family meetings and <laughs> with, you know, talking to estate attorneys and financial, um, uh, financial advisors. I thought I was a pretty smart person. And like time and time again, I was like, I don't know what we're talking about. And so like, ultimately a lot of the, the work that I've done in in these domains that are not my home domain, right? My home domain is really all about like the human capital. And so it touches on a lot of the components that have to do with the people in the system, um, not the not structures around the system. And um, and yet I have, be, I'm, I'm sure in part because of my own journey to try to just wrap my head around some of these things, um, I have become very conversant in these other in the other domains, right? right? So risk management and and tax and legal and investments. And I'm not I am not qualified to advise anybody on any of those things, but I can at least be in a conversation with one of those advisors or with the family and and, and hearing what they're saying about some of the, the the those other domains and how they touch my work and be thoughtful about how we need to engage those other advisors to move something forward. And I think that it's such a powerful call to all of us to think about, you know, how, what is, what is, what would be the, um, what would be the core curriculum that if we said family wealth advisor, which we know could mean a lot of different things, right? Mm-hmm. Or family enterprise advisor, you know, that that had, that you can have a lot of different home skill sets that you bring to the table, but what would be a common curriculum that we would say, this is what we, we should all know these things, mm-hmm. regardless of what my expertise is, um, and how much better might we collaborate if we did understand some of the basics so that we could at least be in conversation um, and, and therefore have better collaboration. Yeah, and it's and it's interesting when you when you look at this now on the other side of this world right now. There's a lot of people looking at wealth 3.0 and they're going, "Is this all about the touchy feely stuff?" Right? I mean, that's yep. one of the things that comes out of this. And you know, I I get the wonderful world saying, "Okay, you describe me as touchy feeling. I'm on the the lost side of the side of this and the real estate and all that that side of this." And what makes this work is everybody being willing to to stretch a little bit so that I can understand and th- your, their stuff and they can understand your stuff. Enough, like you said, to be conversant, not to be the expert, but to know issue spotting. I mean, things that they can they can say, okay, 
we need to talk to Marlies now. We just stepped out of my world. Let's let's talk yeah. to more. You know, again, I think that gives the family so much more confidence knowing that their their professionals are working together and you're getting the best of the best for where they're at. I mean, for their their field. Hundred percent. I do think, and I, I'd be curious to to also hear Marlies weigh in on this because I do think there's a misunderstanding or a a fear, right? I, I often hear. Thankfully, I'm hearing it less and less, but forever. And I'm sure Marlise has had the same experience. Like I've heard the like soft stuff, right? Like, oh, you guys do the soft stuff. Or, awesome, yeah. Yes, that stuff is touchy feely. And um, like, I don't do the touchy feely stuff. I'm not a psychologist, and right. And I think one of the things that it that I feel like is important to raise up is that one, the human work is some of the hardest stuff in many ways, right? right? It's definitely not soft stuff. And really the, the invitation is for all of us to enhance our, it's what I would call advanced practice skills. Like the, the ability to just have better communication, ask better questions, really use what, you know, Marley started at the beginning talking about like what we focus on Mm -hmm. directs all of our attention to, to where we're going. And if, if we have better questions and, and if we have more sort of confidence that a conversation can unfold without us needing to be the expert driving it, right? Like we can lean in with more curiosity and we can actually hear the wisdom and the ideas and the issue spotting in a client conversation. And to me, those are like, that feels like the touchy feely stuff to a lot of people. But in fact, I submit that any advisor who starts to master those skills will find that their conversations with their clients and their interactions are so much more enjoyable. Yeah, I I just want to add to that. Here's the thing. Wealth management is a human endeavor. You have a lot of as a wealth manager, if wealth managers have a lot of data, they have got a lot of, you know, Monte Carlo simulations. They've got a lot of stuff to support their ideas about what might happen, but what happens is a product of human behavior of many many different kinds. And so the only way to really fully manage wealth is to include all of the behavioral aspects that go into it. So I'm just I'm no, fully I, agreement that, with you, Kristen. You know, and I, I was with a family one time and, and um, one of the brothers, they had their business and the one that goes, oh, we don't need this foo-foo, you know, Oprah stuff and all the soft side <laughs> and stuff. And his brother looked at him and he said, this is about as soft as your passion for your business. He went, oh, once he recognized that his passion for his business and now the you know other people's passion for something else, it wasn't soft anymore. It was just part of the mix. And that's that's the big shift I think that we're all talking about is getting them out of these all these little silos. And it's it's all part of this. And a family is going to have all of it in different measures and different you know, ages. But you've got to be able to touch it all or you're going to lose people. And they may be the people that are the most valuable for the family going forward. Yeah. Well, you know, you think about like even the subtle ways that we shut that when we are not being skillful as advisors or in guiding our clients, how quickly we can shut people down or they can't, you can see that they've gotten shut shut down by a comment in the room. And like, as soon as there's not psychological safety in a, in a conversation, people start taking their unique gifts 
off the table, right? They, yeah. they pull them back in and they go like, okay, that that's for me to hold on to. I'm, I'm not bringing that here because nobody wants to start to express that kind of vulnerability and like their passion and their ideas only to find that they're not really seen and appreciated there. And I think that is one of the, that, that fits into that, that category of soft skills that is like much harder to, maybe not even harder to do. Like we just have to be intentional, right? The right. more we are intentional about creating safe spaces for families to meet that are focused on strength and capacity. And we are skillful at helping them learn new communication patterns. The more people bring all of themselves to those conversations. I'm I'm so grateful to you and Dennis and Jim for writing this book because it really does articulate in a very tight and compelling way why it's so important to do that, but also what is all the interstitial fluid and where's all the mm. connectivity with all the, the whole world of advisors that are helping these families. They're helping these families all the time now. And if we don't have that connectivity, you know, we just don't get the benefit. We, we don't serve our clients the mm. way we're. Yeah. And, and, you know, take the whole realm of professionals that are involved. It takes that whole realm of professionals. Mm -hmm. It can't take two thirds of any of them. It takes a village. Them. Yeah, it does take yeah. a village. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I loved Marlise. Uh, one, thank you for that. Thank you for saying that. And um, I had not thought about the idea of the interstitial fluid. And that feels like such a live and, and rich Absolutely, yeah. um, metaphor. And I, I really appreciate that idea. Thank you. <laughs> sure. After you listen to this, we'll have the information on there so you can get a hold of both Marlies um, or Kristen. We've got Kristen's book. You can read that. That was on the podcast that she did. The Wealth 3.0 book is now out. And, and it does touch on Wealth 3.0 towards the end of the book. because yeah. uh, So it, it connects the dots a little bit. And uh, this this is a conversation that's just starting. So this is not going to be the the end of this. This is the conversation that's just starting. And uh, I just I really appreciate you guys taking the time to do this. And I I love the fact that we can get three people like this and just go. Me too. <laughs> so. What what a joy! What a joy to be in this conversation with the two of you, and knowing that that we have a whole tribe of people who will listen and um and who are also on this journey with us. Like we're we're at at the start of what I think is a very exciting wave of change that that has had fingers for many 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 years right there's been people like you rod who have been thinking about this without even knowing sort of the concepts and the language for but you've been doing this work for a long time and i think about what's possible as as we continue to collect just more and more momentum in mm. in really bringing these ideas forward and what what the impact to the families and the joy of the work that we get to do so thank right. you both for this yeah, I love exciting. even when I'm talking to the the attorneys and the accountants and all that stuff. And you ask them why they got into what they what they're doing. Almost all of them, one of the things they'll say is, "I want to make a difference in people's lives." To get to the top level of any profession, I think that has to be part of your DNA, and that you're there for the for the client. Absolutely. Thank you for for your time. Thanks, Thanks to both everyone. of you. Thank you guys.